Hi. I, I'm a paper person. I, I get lost with technology. <laughs> Hi, so for those of you who, who don't know me, yeah, I'm Maria Yoon. I'm the daughter of Jacob and Sunny Yoon, who are pastors of Hamilton Chusarangyue. Um, that's a small Korean Presbyterian church, and the name translates to the Lord's love. I'm the first of five kids whose ages are all spread out. I have two younger sisters and two younger brothers, and the youngest of us is a little boy called Johan, who is 17 years younger than me. So us, the Yoon clad, we have a puppy. Her name is Philia, and she's the cutest thing ever to be created. And I am engaged to Luke, who is the second most cutest thing ever to be created. <laughs> Yeah, so today I'm um, here to speak a bit about my life and my thoughts on something I had struggled with for a very long time, and it's to do with belonging. If I were to give this testimony a name or a title, if you don't have to, but if you did want to write something down, it would be called um, It Ends With Me. Um, I'm hoping that um, you guys will hear me and it will be good for someone somehow. <laughs> Yeah, so my parents moved over from South Korea to New Zealand in 1995, about half a year before I was born. And we've lived in different parts of New Zealand ever since, conveniently, due to the law at the time, I was born with both a New Zealand and Korean citizenship. This came in very handy later in life, which you will hear about in approximately 10 minutes. So I spent my childhood in New Zealand, obviously, but um, I was born during a time when immigration laws were changing to become more lenient towards um, Chinese immigrants, according to their skill sets. So um, there was, it was a time where there was a bit of a growing unease about so many Asians coming into the country. So it was also known as the Asian inv invasion period of time. So yeah, because of this, school was very interesting. Um, uh, when I started primary school, my mom used to make me these Korean rice rolls, and, um, which is basically a Korean version of sushi, for reference, every day for lunch, which is awesome, right? But um, because no one knew what sushi was at the time, people thought it was just funny. Like, they would, they would laugh at me because it smelled different. They weren't used to it. And so I used to go home feeling so embarrassed that I begged my mom to make me something normal, like sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, um, the only thing was my mom didn't really know how to make a sandwich at the time. So um, she made me this wrap. And this wrap didn't have normal things like ham or tomatoes or, or lettuce. It, had, it was filled with my favorite fruit, which was mandarins. <laughs> it's okay. It was gross. You can laugh. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the opposite effect happened. I was more embarrassed. But um, luckily, the humili humiliation didn't last very long because I moved schools quite frequently growing up. This was due to Dad's job as a pastor. He um, took our family all over the place, from Dunedin to Auckland to Hamilton to other places. So I've been enrolled in four different primary schools, three different intermediates, and three different high schools in my school life. Yeah, so every time I moved schools, there was the obvious process of readjusting, trying to fit in and making friends, which was not very easy for someone like me who wasn't very cool, <laughs> nor did I have the best social skills, 
since I never got to stay in one place for too long. And I smelled like kimchi. <laughs> so no matter how confident I tried to be, I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. What didn't help was that at one point, when I really didn't fit in well at a school during intermediate, I tried really not I tried really hard not to show any of this to my parents, um, who were working really hard to fix a financial crisis our family was going through at the time. So, halfway through my school life, you can imagine how alarmed I was when um, a couple of weeks before my 13th birthday, my mum gave me a paper and a pen and told me to write down the names of my friends that I wanted to invite to my 13th birthday party. Because... Um, Becoming a teenager was apparently a really big deal. And so, <laughs> but um, the problem was I had lied to them. I told mom stories about the fun things my friends and I were doing at school, um, when in reality that was far from the case. Technically, they weren't made up stories. I just left out the part that I was just a bystander and those kids weren't actually my friends. So, um, yeah. Despite my predicament, my mum was still standing there watching me and I had to write down something. So out of panic, I had an idea and wrote down the names of the kids in class who I had never talked to. Because even though we had never talked, they weren't ever mean to me either. You know, I'm a genius, I know. <laughs> so intelligent. So my mum made me these pretty invitations and I gave them out to my friends. Um, to my surprise, my classmates didn't respond too badly. Some of them even um, thanked me for inviting them, so I felt a lot better. I even um, thought that I could get away with the fact that I didn't know any of these people because my mum's English wasn't very good then, so she wouldn't be able to converse with them properly anyway. So on my birthday, my mum woke up nice and early, spent the whole day preparing food, cake, and little party bags, and she decorated the whole living room, stuck the neatly handwritten names of everyone who was on the list on front of those party bags. And as I got changed into a cute dress, instead of the standard t-shirt and shorts, um, I even forgot to worry about how I'd explain everything if I ever got caught lying. But it turned out that the whole situation would be exposed and explained without me saying a word because no one showed up. <laughs> yeah, so from that year on, um, every time I moved schools, I made less of an effort to make deeper connections with people. I never let anyone in my bubble because I wanted to skip the part where I realized once again that I didn't really fit. I didn't really belong. I did make friends. I, I wasn't alone all the time. I, I, I made a lot of friends, but um, it's just that me frequently moving all the time, um, it was just really easy for me to disconnect and move on, and then disconnect, and then move on. Yeah, and it didn't seem to bother anyone too much anyway. So I started being careless about how I talked and how I acted and made a lot of dumb decisions. Plus, I was pretty disconnected with my family too, but I won't go too deep into that. It was basically I'd be... Um, I seemed very apathetic to them when I came home, and my siblings all thought I was cold-hearted. <laughs> but um, inside, it's just that... Um, I didn't understand why people didn't like me and my family being very conservative, Presbyterian, traditional Korean pastors. Um, I conflicted with them a lot because I 
found it hard to accept some of some traditional concepts that seem to skip steps in my view. But anyway, and I, I questioned everything, and I was I was an annoying person. <laughs> so a month before I turned sixteen. I noticed that my parents weren't planning on moving anywhere else anymore. Um, they did eventually move again, but it didn't seem like they would at the time. Um, so me, I was already used to being in a state where I'm always ready to leave. So when the consequences of some bad decisions I had made at school started to catch up with me, I told my parents that I was going to Korea. This is the part where having a dual citizenship, oh my gosh, I can't say the word, citizenship came in handy. Um, I don't know what exactly it was that made them say yes, but I assume that they saw that there was nothing they could say that would change my mind. So, essentially, I ran away. I saved up enough money, and on the week of my 16th birthday, I hopped on a plane, landed in Korea, took a train to my dad's hometown where my uncle and auntie were waiting for me, and yeah. They were barely home due to their busy Korean lifestyle, which helped with the whole purpose. I was really determined to disconnect myself with my life in New Zealand, to disconnect with everything and everyone I knew. But Korea was great. Um, the food was great, and I don't know where I got the confidence to, to find a job and enroll at, enroll at a school and tra- travel to different places on my own, but um, it might be because I was 16 and I thought I could conquer the world. So, (laughs) I spent a lot of time alone and it felt better than being with a lot of people but not feeling like I was very wanted. So, um, yeah. But as much as I didn't want to make any connections, every weekend I had to visit my grandma. Um, She was sick with Parkinson's disease, which is something that affects the motor system so slowly you find it hard to move. And she stayed in a little hospital out in the countryside that was 40 minute, a 40-minute drive from where I was staying with my uncle and auntie. Um, she could hardly speak, so I used to just sit there next to her in silence and um, until my visit was over and my uncle came to pick me up and take me home. So every weekend it was just awkward. She would lay there with her eyes closed, occasionally opening them to check if I was still there, and... Um, that was each encounter I had with her every week. But the elderly woman in the bed next to her had dementia and she, she had a lot to say to me. She would call me mom and sister and like drag me places. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it wasn't all boring. But yeah, I, I, swear, I swear that one time grandma actually laughed at me. But yeah, one weekend when I, visit, when I visited her, she had um, a neck brace on. Her hands were shaking and her eyes were wide open and tears were splashed all over her face. The nurse explained to me that her jaw had come out while she was eating. So not knowing what else to do, I sat next to her and held her hand, but she shook it off. At first I thought it was her lack of control in her hands because they were shaking, (laughs) but um, then she pointed at her hymnal. I opened it to the page it was marked and tried showing it to her instantly feeling foolish since the pages kept flopping and so not knowing what to do and I didn't really know the song either I just read the words out to her which were 
walking in sunlight all of my journey, over the mountains, through the deep vale. Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee, promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises. Jesus is mine. The next weekends, um, the next weeks that I visited, um, she no longer had a brace, but she couldn't move her hands, so during lunch I would help her to eat. And afterwards I would sing the hymn to her now that I knew how it went, and I would tell her stories about how her son, my dad, was doing in New Zealand. And then one week um, she looked at me and spoke the longest phrases she had ever spoken over the entire time I I had been there. And she said, Thank you. You are my granddaughter. I needed a granddaughter. And now I have a granddaughter and she loves me. So even during the car ride back home, my heart was racing and I slowly began to see the dangerous game I was playing. I was playing the blame game. In this game, I was the victim, and it was everyone else's fault that I could never feel like I belonged. But in reality, I had almost robbed my grandma of her sense of belonging by not recognizing who I was. Because my grandma is grandma because I am granddaughter. I thought about all of the times that I could have robbed someone else's sense of belonging because I was too busy feeling sorry for myself. Um... By accepting the friendship of other people, I would have also been a friend to someone else. I started to see what a hypocrite I was, wanting to be cared about so badly, but not paying attention to anyone else who might be needing it more than I did. So, yeah, it hurt me so badly to realize that I made Grandma feel like anything I hated feeling growing up. So... um, The main thing I want to say is um, I'm not trying to say that everything is fair. I don't think everything is fair, but um, I strongly believe that I need to accept whatever part I played in a situation. For example, when my mom made me the Mandarin rap, that wouldn't have happened if I appreciated that she woke up at 6 a.m. every morning to make me lunch. Or even when um, no one came to my birthday party, that could have easily been avoided if I had trusted my parents enough to tell them the truth. And I could easily excuse all of that by saying I was too young or I didn't know any better. But if I make excuses, I'm stepping away from what is true And I'm losing the opportunity to grow and learn and find resolve. Yeah, and so it was my grandma and my trip to Korea that drew me closer to Jesus. I know that this wasn't explicitly about Jesus, but it was a really big part of my life that put me in the right direction. And it helped me to accept my place as his daughter who belongs in his kingdom. So from then on, uh, it's been quite the journey, and I've made a lot of meaningful friends. And now I'm more afraid of rejecting myself than being rejected. So 
if I want to be a part of an environment that condones belonging, then the blame game must end with me. Cool. I'm going to (laughs) pray. Hi, Jesus. (laughs) No one knows shame and rejection like you do. And yet you are a friend to the rejected, a father to the fatherless, and above everything and anything, you cared for the ones who had forgotten how to care for themselves. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is, is, is in trouble. Help us to be a people who never ignores a person who is left alone, whoever that may be. And help us to remember our identity in you so that we can truly demonstrate to other people what it really is to know the gospel. We pray to be a people who care, who aren't self-indulged, who can give because we are first received. So we thank you for our friends and for our family. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Wow, thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, that's powerful, powerful, eh? Powerful lesson to learn there. So thank you for helping us to learn that lesson. We need to look out for others around us. We can all have times of feeling lonely or feeling like we're, um, somebody's not being my friend or talking to me, but maybe I can step out and talk to somebody Maybe I can step out and be somebody else's friend. So, yeah, good lesson for us all. Fantastic. Well, Jay is going to come and carry on from that this evening. So how about you give Jay a great big hand? Cheers. How are we? It's good. Just open up my notes and stuff. Oh, well, I'm not going to drink it. I'm just going to start off with this thing that I read today because I found it hilarious. So a minister told his congregation, next week I plan to preach about the sin of lying. To help you understand my sermon, I want you all to read Mark 17. The following Sunday, as he prepared to deliver his sermon, the minister asked for a show of hands. He wanted to know how many had read Mark 17. Every hand went up. The minister smiled and said, Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon on the sin of lying. I found that quite good. Anyway, that has nothing to do with my message. I just found that hilarious. That was awesome, Maria. Thank you so much for opening up um, with that. It's real challenging. So, as most of you guys know who's heard me, I love talking about, first of all, intimacy with God. We've got to do it. It's the biggest part of being in a relationship with Jesus, in my opinion. And then we also have to share our faith. We have to preach the gospel. That is Jesus' um, command to us. And so 
I just want to share a little bit about um, identity today and how that is such an important thing in our walk with God and especially with those two um, things. And so with intimacy, when we hang out with God, when we actually spend time with him, which is what we're called to do, when we soak in his presence, we find out who we are in God. We start to claim identity. We start to get our identity. And when we know who we are and what, know what God thinks of us, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It only matters what God thinks of us. And so that's why it's such an important thing for us to have intimacy with God. Because if we have that, and if we know only what God thinks, I don't see any other um, reason why we can't share our faith. Because if I know what God thinks of me, God has no favoritism. He doesn't love Martin more than me. He doesn't love Nicole more than me, Dad more than me. He loves us all the same. So if, he know, if I know how much he loves me and what he thinks of me, then that means I know what he thinks of all of you guys. That means you would know what he thinks of everyone else. And what he thinks of you is that he thinks you're worth dying for. Literally, he sent his son to die for you. That's what God thinks of you. And so it says in Second Timothy 1.7, it says that he didn't give us a spirit of fear. And so we actually have authority that if we feel fear, if, we, if fear ever tries to cling to us, we have authority to, to shove that out of the way in Jesus' name. That's not a spirit that's been given to us by God. So we can replace that spirit with God's spirit, with joy, with peace, with love. And so I want to encourage you, if you do feel fear, especially in the, in the context of sharing your faith, because that's what we're all called to do, then shake it off. There's no reason why we need that. God didn't give that to us. Yeah. And so we can love others, which again is what we are called to do, because God, we know what God thinks of us. We know how much God loves us. That's the big thing. And intimacy with God is not a chore. It is one of the most amazing things to do. And anyone who, who does do that in a constant um, basis would know that. There's nothing better than hanging out with our Heavenly Father. If you, especially if you know what He thinks of you. Why would you not want to hang with Him? He is the man. The flipping bomb diggity. Man, so we, we have to be intimate to imitate. It all links up. We have to be intimate to imitate. If we know who we are in God, we know what he thinks of others. We can't hold back the gospel if we know what he thinks of us. And so I would just want to encourage you with a few points um, with sharing your faith because as an evangelist, it's, um, doesn't, it's not the evangelist's job to preach the gospel, right? To share our faith. It's the Christian's job. It's anyone who's in relationship with Jesus' job to preach the gospel, to share their faith. It's just the evangelist's job to help equip and inspire and empower the church to do that, encourage the church to do that. And so I'm just going to encourage you with a few points. Um, and the first point is we need to become seed planters not soul winners. A lot of you would have probably heard that from me. Um, but I heard that at the School of Evangelism at the beginning of this year uh, in America, and uh, Daniel Kalinda talked about it. And it was such an, um, uh, just an amazing revelation that we need to be seed planters, not soul winners. 
Because if we share our faith, and a lot of you might have experience with this, we get rejected. It just it happens. Not everyone is going to respond to the gospel in a good way. And so if we see ourselves as soul winners, which of course we should be, we should see souls win, you know, it's a promise from the Father and that's our main goal. But if we see ourselves as soul winners, we're going to be rejected and we're going to probably get a bit down. It happened to me all the time. I'd preach the gospel to someone, reject me, oh, go into a week of just, oh, well that sucked, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> But if we see ourselves as seed planters, planting seeds, like, who cares if someone rejects me? I just planted a seed. Like, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to fill up my car, as you do, and I was at the counter pain, and then um, the guy at the, oh, I told the guy at the counter that Jesus loved him. And it's such a simple thing, but he said, all right, dude, tell me more about this. Because he told me that, that was the f- I was the fourth person to tell him Jesus loved him in that day. So, yeah, a lot of the time it seems like such a pointless thing. Oh, Jesus loves you. But trust me, it's not. It's planting seeds. Even if you get rejected, that one seed. There could be three other people in that day that goes up and tells that. And then, boom, responds to the gospel. Gives their life to Jesus. And so we need to see ourselves as seed planters, not soul winners. Also, another encouraging point is we can't make the decision for others. We can't go to, uh, you know, start thinking about maybe inviting our friends uh, to youth or maybe to church or that sort of thing, and then suddenly, mm, maybe, maybe they won't like it. Maybe, maybe it's not their thing. We don't know that. <laughs> we don't know that at all. We can't take that opportunity away from people. And it's the same with the, it's the, same with the gospel. It's the same with sharing our faith. We can't just, oh, maybe they'll take it weird. Oh, maybe they'll think I'm weird. Oh, maybe they'll, no, they, they, I don't think they'll be into this sort of thing. We don't know that <laughs> at all. And again, as I just said, yeah, there's a lot of times that we get rejected. But man, there's the beautiful times where people do respond and we can't, Hold back the gospel. Another encouraging point is the gospel is a proclamation of victory. We are sharing our faith from a place of victory. Jesus has already won, right? And so, I like you. And so, we have to, we can't hold it back. (laughs) Jesus has already won, so what have we got to lose? Another thing is, the most valuable thing, or the most valuable prize in a sense, is that we can, uh, is we can have is God's presence and his voice. And that again wraps up to intimacy. And I'm just going to um, read John 10.27 to you. Most of you would probably know it. We all good? Good. So it says, my sheep will listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so, as Christians, <laughs> Christians, yeah, we are imitators of Christ, it's in the name. We actually have the privilege to be in this relationship with God where it's not just a God and a cloud thing, but he actually lives in us and we get to we get to commune with him any time, 
talk with him, hang out with him, soak in his presence. Can I encourage you as well? His, the presence of God is God. <laughs> like a lot of people, and this was me, I have to remind myself this, think the presence of God, if you, you know, you feel that, maybe you feel that little tingle in your hands when you're worshiping Jesus or something like that. A lot of the time people think it's maybe like kind of God in the corner just doing a little blow or something. The presence of God is God. That is God embracing you. That is the presence of God hitting you. That is God. (laughs) We need to get that into our heads. What a privilege to be able to experience the presence of God, be able to hear God's voice. And so that is the prize. And that is why, again, we cannot hold back the gospel because we don't want to hold that prize from them because they can as well commune with, the gospel, uh, commune with God. And the last point is, who in here knows your calling? Why you're here? Put your hand up if you know what your calling is. So for you who have your hands down, I'm going to tell you what your calling is, and it's in Mark 16, 15. I don't even need it, but I'm going to read it. I mean, I don't need the Bible verse. Of course, I need the verse, but I don't need to read it from the straight Bible. But So how are you guys going? Just taking my time here. Really? Thank you. So, and then he told him, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Preach the gospel to everyone. That is your calling. That is everyone's calling. Again, it's not the evangelist's job to preach the gospel, to share your faith. It is the Christian's. It is everybody's job to preach the gospel. That is your calling on earth. I don't care whether you like it or not. That's your calling. And when we spend time with God in intimacy with God, we will, we will take that seriously because <laughs> we will start to understand God's heart and we'll start to understand what he thinks of us. And so we'll start to know what he thinks of everyone else. And so then we will take that calling seriously. We will step out in obedience, won't care what anyone else thinks but God, and we will share our faith. We will preach the gospel. We will see people saved. That is a promise from the Father. And so that is (laughs) our calling. That is what we're here to do. And so I hope that really encourages you.